Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of We, Us, and Ours. We are so excited to have you here today, and I know you are going to love this conversation with our friend, Matt Mikolatos. Matt is a family man, author, screenwriter, and just an all-around cool guy. And if you've ever had a dream about writing a book, this episode is especially for you. Hello, Matt. How are you? I'm doing great. How are you doing? Good. Thank you so much for joining us. We are so excited to have you here today. It is truly, truly such a pleasure. And I I would love to just jump right into things. I want to hear more about who you are, where you're from. Tell me your background. Yeah. So I, I grew up mostly in California. We moved a bit when I was a kid. So a little time in Connecticut, a little time in Missouri but mostly the San Francisco Bay Area. Uh, After my wife and I got married, we lived in Seattle for a couple of years. We lived in Asia for a few years. uh, And then we settled in the Portland, Oregon area. And that's that's where we are today. Yeah. Wow. Wow. Do you have some sunny weather today or are you in the typical uh, Oregon rain? The weather today is beautiful. Uh, The way it gets in kind of springish time is that we'll have like just gorgeous days followed followed by you know nice days that are rainy uh it's unpredictable so i'll put my hammock out you know thinking like oh finally summer is here and then it just pours for three days so yeah of course that's that's how it works i'm in los angeles right now and someone that i know tweeted and they said oh guys i'm so sorry for the rain today it's because i got a car wash yesterday forgot to give you all the heads up (laughs) because i got a car wash it was gonna rain in la and i was like yes that's that's pretty accurate Yep. (laughs) but what had you moving around so much well a variety of things when i was a kid my parents were computer programmers so we we popped around to different jobs my dad was on loan to ibm for a while like that kind of thing Um, and then as an adult, my wife and I, in our job just had different opportunities that we, uh, yeah, we went here and there a bit. Um, that's, that's mostly it, I guess. Vocation. Yeah. I love that. And starting off kind of the, not necessarily the digital nomad life that now people are really going into, but just the fact of that you have the opportunity to pop around and not be as roots ground before you need to be. Yeah. And I mean, I know people who listen to this podcast already know all the joys of travel and that you spend a lot of time talking about that, but it's pretty amazing. We moved to Asia when our oldest daughter had just been born. She was three months old and we lived there for three years. So our second daughter was born when we were there too. And uh, we wouldn't trade it. It was really wonderful. And it was fun having our kids, even though they were very small, experiencing another culture Uh, and we have lots of friends, right. From this other culture. And then in my job, I traveled a lot after that. So my kids have, you know, when they were little, they'd be like, we've never been to Disney world. And I was like, you've ridden an elephant in Thailand though. Ask your friends if they've done that. (laughs) Yes. No, it's, it's so completely different. And travel, as you know, is some, is the world's best textbook and it allows you to experience different things, meet new people. And that's one of the core values of this podcast is just connecting with people of different backgrounds from different parts of the world to show that we're all more the same than we are different. Right. Right. For sure. Yeah. And so 
I want to then transition a little bit more to what you're doing now. That's a, a fun previous chapter, but you're in Oregon right now. So what is it that you do? Well, so I, I've actually just been transitioning out of the job I've been in for the last 23 years, which is in the nonprofit industry. Wow. Uh, and I'm moving into freelance writing for uh, TV and movies, actually. So right now I'm in a writer's room for a TV show. I, I just, we haven't signed all the contracts yet, so I should, probably shouldn't go into the details about this, <laughs> but I did just sell a movie this week uh, to a big, uh, you know, a big studio. You would, you would know their name. Um, and then, yeah, I write books as well. So that's been something I've been doing for the last decade. Uh, but the movie and TV stuff is new. Uh, yeah. So it's, you know, wow. it's kind of the normal kind of fear of, oh my gosh, I'm running my own independent business now. And also the excitement of just the different things I get to do and the people I'm interacting with. And yeah, it's a lot of fun. Absolutely. Okay. There's so many things to unpack there that I just love. <laughs> so the, the nonprofit industry, were you in the same organization for 23 years? Had you yeah. kind of bounced around? Yeah, we're in the same organization for 23 years. It's a, a Christian-based nonprofit that works on a variety. It's a large organization, so a lot of different people doing different things in it. Um, and we had a variety of jobs when we were in it. So for a while, we were working with college students. For a while, we were facilitating uh, Americans who were going overseas, helping take care of them, travel planning, all that sort of stuff. Uh, and then... Yeah, connecting with our international partners. And then for a while, I ran our corporate conferences, which are these big, every two years, 5,000 people come. I ran the programming for that. Uh, so just this and that, really, what, whatever took our interest, uh, which was pretty great. Yeah. That's awesome. And so one thing that you pointed out, because you're just making that transition out, but we know that you already have a few books to your name. Yeah. So you were balancing doing the two, balancing being an <laughs> author and having this full-time job. How did that work? You know, that's funny. Uh, so I've been a professional author for, okay, 13 years, wow. uh, meaning that I've gotten paid, right? Uh, and I'm getting books published by publishers. Um yeah. One of the questions I get all the time is from people who are saying like, oh, I have kids or how do you have time to do that and do a job and like those sorts of questions. And it's pretty funny. Like part of it is just deciding what you want to do. Right. Like it's just more important to me than other things. Uh, not than my children or my wife, not like that. <laughs> uh, but when my kids were small, I would write while they're in the bathtub and they got some really long baths sometimes. Right. I'm just <laughs> sitting in the hallway typing. Uh, and then the other thing, some, I'll get some guy who's like, how do you have that? You can't have this much time. And I'm like, okay, well, I don't, I don't watch sports. And he's like, oh yeah, I could write a book if I gave up sports, you know? <laughs> yeah. It's all about, it's all about prioritizing and just really being intentional about your time. And yeah. I heard, um, there's a pastor that I really like out in DC that I've known for years named Mark Batterson. Mm -hmm. He talks about how you, you underestimate how much you can do, or you overestimate how much you can do in one year, but mm. you underestimate how much you can accomplish in 10 years. Yeah, And it's really just talking about kind of compartmentalizing what you're doing and your time and just really holding yourself accountable and saying, if this is something that I value, I want to write this into my schedule. Yeah, that's right. And I think, you know, there's something to be said for deadlines too. like, 
I write best when I decide when it's going to be done. Uh, and I, I write even better when I have a contract and there's a check waiting at the end, then all of a sudden <laughs> it's like, Oh, better get this finished. Yes. So, and of course it's, it's gotta be stuff you're passionate about too. Right. I mean, it doesn't have to be, there's plenty of people who just write for a check and there's nothing wrong with that. Um, but if you can get a job where you're also doing something you're passionate about, which I know you're, you're, you had a whole episode about that. Um, mm -hmm. then that's, gosh, that's great if you can get it. Yeah, absolutely. And it just, it helps with the motive, the motivation of things. I've definitely been, been feeling that as I'm making videos of editing and I recently got my drone license. And so I've been going oh. through this and I said, okay, I have to set deadlines for these videos that I'm making or else they're just never going to get done. And yeah. finding accountability partners, I think is also something that's really mm been helpful for me. Lucky for you, you have a wife that I feel like from what I've heard can help me with that. And I'm, I find some of my friends to say, okay, please help me accountable, hold me accountable. If I do not hit this deadline, I owe you 20 bucks. That's funny. That's funny. Charlotte, you're bringing up something that I do, which is, uh, I create like penalties for myself and, or, and rewards, uh, to help with artistic things. So like one of the things I do when I'm writing a book is I go I love to read. Uh, so I'll go buy a book by an author that I'm really excited about that just came out and I set it beside my bed and I say, I can't read this until I'm done. Uh, so then every night when I go to bed, I'm like, oh, I want to read that before I fall asleep. I'm like, nope, you're not done with your book, are you? Get to work. Mm. So I'm like always tricking myself. Okay, how do I? Okay, there's that book waiting for you at the end that you get to read. So, oh, I love it. I love it. It's like a it. fun celebration at the end too. You're like, hooray, I can read my book. <laughs> yes. And for you, for some people, I, I enjoy reading, but I'm not a super fast reader. So I mm. listen to audiobooks a lot and mm -hmm. I know that there's nothing wrong with it. It just, it's what works best for you. And so for me, some of my rewards would be traveling or doing yeah. a, a fun activity. So yeah, everyone exactly. can find their own reward system. Yeah. Oh my gosh. I was so jealous of you being in Hawaii. It's one of my favorite places on the planet. And uh, we were talking before the show, like I really love the Kona neighborhood and you were in Kona for a few days. So yeah, yeah I was, it, I was like, I can't believe it. So upsetting that you got to go there. <laughs> I know. And even though it doesn't look it, I am working on a pretty nice tan already for this early in the season. So I'm. Yeah. Very, and you've got that beautiful that. Aloha shirt on. That's really yes, nice. You definitely yes, look like you've been enjoying island life. None of my clothing, clothing anymore. I'm still, I'm halfway in between making it back to the East coast. So I still only have my Hawaii clothing. So I'm go. just walking around Los Angeles in Hawaiian t-shirts. That's so good. You're just, you're just holding on to the Aloha. Oh, absolutely. And I, I had done a little bit of digging on your website, but how many books have you written in total so far? Let's see. My 11th book just came out this month and my 12th comes out in August. Congratulations. Wow. Thanks. That's a, that's a good, that could fill someone's small bookcase. Oh, for sure. And, and what's hilarious is <laughs> people all the time, my first book came out, you know, like 12 years ago. And someone will reach out and go like, hey, I was thinking about your book. Like, do you have any other books? Like they didn't do an internet search. They emailed me, whatever, it's fine. Uh, and then I, I always, I feel a little guilty usually writing them back and go like, well, there's 11 more, <laughs> you know, or whatever. Like, which They're like, which book I'm are you talking about? Oh, some lady today. Oh, so one that th three of my books are a trilogy. It's a fantasy trilogy for young adults. 
And she wrote me today. She's like, I just love your Facebook post. So I went and bought one of your books. I hope this is the right one. It's called The Story King. And I was like, oh, that's the third one in the trilogy. And she was like, oh, well, okay. <laughs> oh, no, that's just when a little bit of an internet search can definitely just really, really I, help I get it, though, because that's the book that just came out. So I've been pushing it. So I'm sure she's like, oh, that, yeah, Matt's been talking about this book. Yeah. So she didn't know she was getting on the hook for three books. That's all. <laughs> that's that's awesome. And how how did you come up with some of these books? Because what from what I've seen, they're all they all vary pretty differently besides having <laughs> trilogy, which will have obviously some correlations, but okay, yeah. When you're a young author, they always tell you you have to brand yourself, figure out what you're gonna write and just write it. Uh, and that's the like, so you you'd be travel books. That's what I do, right? Uh uh. <laughs> And they tell you, you can't get published if you don't do this. It, one, it's not true. Like my books are really weird and different than each other. And I have people who love one book of mine. They'll read another one and be like, eh, I'm not sure I like that one that much. Um, I, I just love writing different things. So my brand is if you read my books, you'll be entertained, like you'll have fun and you'll be stretched. Like you'll see something in the world a new way, hopefully. It's kind of what I'm working on usually. Uh, but yeah, I've got fiction, largely fantasy fiction. I've got some like humor, the uh, uh, theological comedy novels, which those are rare. I think only I write those. Uh, <laughs> and then I've got a memoir. I've got a couple nonfiction spiritual books. So yeah, big variety of things. I love that. I love that. And I did see on your website something that really stood out to me. Of course, it was bolded, but emotionally it stuck out to me too was that to write a book you have to write a book that you wish existed yeah yeah I, just, I love that I that's actually how I know when I'm ready to write a book is I'm looking at the world and going like I wish someone was talking about this or I wish there was a book oh, I, I can't talk about it at all but there's a book I'm writing right now that is like I literally was like I wonder if someone already wrote this book. I want to find it because I want to read it. Like, mm -hmm. and it's a fiction idea. So I'm like searching for it everywhere. I'm like, no one has written this. How is this possible? Like, it's such a good idea. And then I'm like, well, I guess it's on me. So it's yeah. kind of fun for me. I get to live with it for like a year or a year and a half then as I'm just like thinking about it and then I'm working on it. And then sometimes, unfortunately, it doesn't sell, <laughs> which means I just get to enjoy it myself. But still, it's still fun. Still having yeah, a good that's time. The, well, that's the joy of one, doing something you're passionate about. But two, that's that's all that entrepreneurship and establishing businesses is, is either finding problems and yeah. becoming the solution to it, or you see some, and that kind of goes into a need. And if that's, oh, well, I want to read this book and there's nothing there, it's not necessarily solving the problem as much as some other issues, but it's still solving that personal problem of, well, I wanna read a book about this, so yeah. I guess I'll just write it. Well, and you see this in the self-publishing market all the time, is that people will find some niche thing they love and they'll build a career out of it, which is amazing. I have so much respect for those folks. Um, but yeah, they're like, I want a book about a mermaid who falls in love with a werewolf. In fact, I want 10 books about that. <laughs> and they're like, huh, that's not in the market. They're like, fine, I'll just write them. Uh, and they're like, okay, cool. And they're like, also it's set in 1500. You're like, okay, cool. I'm yep. you. That's super, great. Super casual. <laughs> <laughs> 
Oh, no, I love that. So what advice would you have for someone that's that's thinking about writing a book? Someone who's a mentor to me is Bob Goff, who you might yeah. be familiar with. And he always talks about how he thinks everyone has at least one book in them. Sure. And a lot of people have these ideas, but never put pen to paper, don't believe that they could do that. So what kind of advice would you have for someone who wants to or has an idea, but doesn't actually think they're capable of writing a book? Yeah, that's a great question. I think I agree with Bob. I think human beings are interesting, right? And we're all unique. And I think have unique insights about the world uh, or unique things to say. Uh, and that, yeah, having a book in you is really just how do I take my unique vision of the world and make it accessible to other people, which is really beautiful. Uh, but it's also a lot of hard work. I think sometimes what I hear from people is I'll hear kind of opposite things. I'll hear people saying, oh, writing's so easy. Like they look at all my books. Oh, you, you wrote 12 books. That's great. Writing's so easy. I could do that. <laughs> and then I'm like, oh, they're like, yeah, I'm jealous that you have publishing deals and I don't. And I'm like, well, how many books have you written? Well, none. I've never written anything. <laughs> it's like, well, okay. So there is a core difference between us, right? Uh, and then on the flip side, I hear people saying like, I could never do that. And I don't think that's true either. Um, I don't think that writing is, uh, writing is a technology, right? Mm -hmm. Uh, that we invented human beings created it. And like any technology, uh, it requires skill to use, not gifting. You don't just, you, you know, you're not like, oh, that person's so gifted at using the internet. No, they learned how to use the internet and writing's the same. Uh, it is a tool that we can learn through use and be trained in. Uh, and really anyone, literally anyone, I think, can get to a place of proficiency and then to a place of professionalism. Mm -hmm. uh, and there's plenty of people who don't, they're not even worried about that. You know, uh, you always have, you know, grandma, whoever that writes down all the family memories for the last three generations. That's a huge service to your family. And that's writing a book. Absolutely. So I, I think things like that are incredibly valuable. Definitely. And as someone personally, I am a much stronger speaker than I am a writer. Yeah. But over the last few years, I've just been coming to that realization of, first off, I don't have to keep telling myself that. I don't have to say, oh, well, you're just a better speaker than a writer. Then, okay, start start working on writing. Like you say you're a good speaker because you do that every day, all the time. But how often do you sit down and write? That's how you strengthen a muscle yeah. is by, by using it. And so I call BS on people that say, well, I could never write a book. I'm not a good writer. Okay. There's transcription services, yep. talk a book and then pay for someone to transcribe it for you. Well, and here's a great, it's not even a secret. It's just a thing people don't believe. Uh, like I heard for years and years, writing is rewriting, right? This idea that a large part of writing is editing. Uh, and people, uh, you don't want to believe that it's so much work. Um, but the fact is the dirty little secret that with a few exceptions, even professional authors that you know and love, that their first drafts are garbage. Like it just takes a lot of work to make them something good. And yeah. there, like I said, there's exceptions like Stephen King, his first drafts are mostly almost done, I'm sure. But he's a very, he's a very, very excellent proficient writer. Um, but yeah, when I write a book, it has a lot of work ahead of it still. So I think what happens sometimes is you start writing and you look at it and you're like, oh my gosh, this is horrible. Yeah, that's right. Now finish it. Don't try to fix it now. 
get all the way done, get a first draft done, and then just set it aside for like three weeks, a month, three mm-hmm. months, it's fine. And then reread it and fix it. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah, it's when you're like, oh, this is terrible. I'm terrible. No, no, it's just terrible. You can, it's not that you're terrible, just the work is, but you can fix Absolutely. that. Absolutely. And I think just having another set of eyes on it once you have a oh, draft yeah. is, is so helpful, but you can't hand someone a three, three fourths of a book and expect them to get it. You have to have a full draft and it could be absolute trash, but at least then you can have someone say, well, your brain, this part connects because you wrote this, but to the outside perspective, it doesn't. So you go back and add some more meat to it. And you're like, wait, this is, this is 10 times better. Right. Right. Exactly. Well, and a lot of it's communication, right? So when you're speaking, like when you and I are speaking, we can see each other. Uh, if I feel like you're not getting what I'm saying, or you say something back to me, then I change the way I'm saying it. And that's mm-hmm. a lot of writing too, is learning how the words that you're putting on the page, what they're saying to people. And if it's getting the response you're wishing for. Absolutely. And have you written any books that didn't end up getting published? Because that's one of those things that a lot of authors don't like talking about is they're like, oh, well, I wrote, I have this many published books. It's like, yes, but how many, how many like L's were in there? How many losses? How many unpublished books? Tons and tons and tons. Um, So my first novel is bad enough that I don't think there's an existing copy unless some (laughs) friend of mine snuck one away somewhere. I think I got them all. Um, I wrote a screenplay when I was in college that is awful, uh, but I kept one copy and I keep it in my closet. So when I'm feeling discouraged about my writing, I pull it out and I read it and I go, I'm better than that. Like (laughs) I used to be real bad. Um, uh, I have a couple of novels, at least two I can think of that are complete and just didn't find a home. Uh, And then on the nonfiction side, so with nonfiction, usually you only write a few chapters and like an outline. So I've got, I don't know, four or five nonfiction books that didn't go anywhere. Like I started writing them and we just couldn't find a home for them. Um, So yeah, it's pretty normal. In fact, it's really normal. Uh, Rejection in the arts in general, uh, and it's true in business too, but in the arts, rejection is part of the job. Like you need to not only expect it, you have to use it as a tool. It's, it's part of your toolkit uh, that when you get a rejection, you look at it and go, okay, what do I learn from this? Not just like, oh, I'm sad. It's okay to be sad, but it's like, okay, is the book not good enough? Is this the wrong market? Is it the wrong time? Uh, you know, yeah, what, whatever it might be. Mm-hmm. And I know with a lot of people, I've had this conversation surprisingly a lot in the last two weeks is that when people, especially authors, they kind of talk about their success or people, I should say authors in the business world a lot, they either glaze over their beginnings and they just kind of talk about more recent times, which makes sense, or once they've made their success, but a lot of people struggle with knowing where to start and I find myself struggling with that a lot. I have five-year dreams that I say, okay, I know what I want to be doing and I know that this is my plan, but I don't know how to take that next immediate step to get there. So for someone who has never written a book before, what would you say is that first step that you really need to take? Uh, Yeah, this is, everybody hates it when I say this, but it's absolutely true. By far the best things you can do when you want to become a writer is to read 
and to write. <laughs> so what you want to do is you want to read really good books of the kind you want to write. Don't read garbage. If, if you just love romance novels and that's all you read, but you're like, what I really want to write is, I don't know, a nonfiction book about the history of guns in America or something. Like you need to go read some books, some history mm -hmm. books that are well done with that kind of singular focus uh, and vice versa, right? If all you read is nonfiction and you're like, I heard it's easy to break into romance. Uh, you need to go read a bunch of romance and you need to love it. Um, yeah, and and I do think you tend to, I love reading books by writers who are better than me because I feel like the whole time I'm learning something. When I read books by people who are not as good as me, I'm, I feel really superior. I'm like, oh man, uh, ha ha ha, look how they did it. It's not helpful to me and it's certainly not mm -hmm. helpful to them. They don't care. I, well, I guess it might be helpful if I bought their book. Maybe they got a dollar <laughs> or something. Um, but yeah, yeah it's the I, whole mentality of like, you never want to be the smartest person in the room because that's not how you grow. So you don't want to be reading books that are way below in the way of not challenging you to say, this is how I want to be able to write. Right. Like for me, I love John Steinbeck. He's one of my favorite authors or like Flannery O'Connor, or um, Percival Everett, like all these people. They're people that I look at and uh, I go, oh man, how do they pull this off? Like, I don't get it. So you want some folks like that that you're reading that just set the bar higher. Uh, and I think that's an important part of professionalism. Like my hope is that every single one of my books is better than the one before. I want to challenge myself. I want to try something that's harder. I want to get better at certain things. Uh, and then, you know, there's some stuff you might never be good at, and that's okay. That's what editors are for. Uh, that's why, you know, some people write in certain genres and not others. Like I'm terrible at commas. I'm so bad at commas. Uh, and I know the rules more or less, but it just doesn't live in me somehow. Uh, and so my editors are always like, okay, I guess I got to go through and fix all the commas. And I'm like, <laughs> oh, thank God for you. Comma loving editor. Yeah, that's what I need. Yeah, it's definitely just knowing your strength and your weaknesses. I'm I'm not a numbers person. I know that it's not my strength. Mm -hmm. I'm 24 years old. I like to mm -hmm. think I'm a smart, educated woman, and I still yep. count on my fingers. It's fine. <laughs> I just know that we're, we're never going to be putting me in charge of all of the numbers. My wife, my wife always tells me that I have two numbers. It's large number, small number. So I'll be like, yeah, uh, I was reading the news and 6,000 people, blah, blah, blah. And she's like, 6,000 people. And I'm like, well, large number. Like, I don't know what the actual <laughs> number was, but it was large. And 6,000 seems big. Yeah, uh, that's, that sounds about right. So that's... she's a very precise person. So she's like, I'm going to need to go look this up. And she's like, it was 4,000. I'm like, oh, yeah, right. Yeah, it was, it was a lot for what we were talking about. Yeah, you're like, that's still, that's still a big number. No, I, I totally get that. But Okay, one thing that I'm also really curious about is what was the journey like for you getting published? And have you stuck with the same publisher? What what does that process look like? Yeah. Um, let's see where to begin. Uh, there was a lot of rejection. I have a big stack of rejection letters for like short stories and things. Uh, and then I started getting published one day. And it was mostly when I started editing my work, actually. <laughs> <laughs> Um, the first place I got published was a satire magazine that did religious satire. So what happened is I would get mad about something at church or in my nonprofit. I would write a funny article about the topic and then they would send me like 50 bucks or 75 bucks. And I was like, this is like counseling, but I'm getting paid. Uh, <laughs> so that was great. 
Uh, and then what happened from there is, you know, my, uh, uh, I got published in a few magazines and the editor was like, are you working on a book? And I was like, I want to, and then started talking to agents. And then the guy who became my agent, who's delightful, who I'm still with, it's a guy named Wes Yoder. Uh, I sent him the pitch for my book. And he said, do you even like this kind of book? And I was like, no, I hate him, but I thought it could sell. And he was like, yeah, I'm not going to represent you then. Like, send me something you love. And I was yeah. like, okay. So I was like, I'm going to just send him something weird that makes me happy. Like, I love like Kurt Vonnegut and like some of these weird fiction books. So I sent him a book that was a comedy called Imaginary Jesus about like people's misconceptions of Jesus, only they can see them. And it's a novel. Um, and he was like, this is hilarious. So he went and sold that. And then from there, that's kind of been how we work. Like I try to think of something that I would love to do and he tries to sell it, uh, which has been great. Uh, yeah. And so my first book was published with a publisher named Tyndale House. Uh, I have published with a few other publishers as well, but Tyndale, we keep kind of coming back together. So we've got a bunch of projects we're working on together now. It's really, uh, it's fun, right? It's like family. We've got these really strong relationships there. So as long as all my buddies are still there, I think I'll keep publishing with them. That's awesome. And speaking of publishing, you have another book coming out in August. Correct. Yeah. I want to hear all about that. I'm so excited for this. Okay. Yeah. So this is going to sound like I'm not talking about a book at first, but you'll see. Uh, a few years ago, my best friend and my wife's best friend, kind of our family friend, was a single woman named Shasta. Uh, found out she had cancer, breast cancer, uh, and it was stage four. Mm. And so we spent four years with her kind of fighting cancer. And uh, she eventually passed. Uh, but our family, another family, her folks and you know, brother and it, kind of her extended family all like kind of helped take care of her in different ways. And as she was in the last few months of her life, I was in her bedroom with her. She was laying on the bed. She'd been through lots of chemo and stuff at that point. She's looking pretty weak. She's, you know, bald, um, kind of emaciated. And she looked at me and said, when I die, will you speak at my funeral? And every time she had said when up to this point, I had always said, uh, if, if, right? Like you could outlive me. I could get hit by a bus. You, you could still get well. There could be a miracle, like that kind of stuff. And I could tell just looking at her that day that she couldn't, she didn't have the strength for that kind of evasion anymore. And so I just said, yes. And then we both just started sobbing. We were just crying. And uh, when we could talk again, I asked her, well, what do you want me to say? And she said, I want you to tell people how much they're loved. And I said, well, who do you want me to tell? And she started listing her family, her close friends. And then she started listing other people, like people, people who had abandoned her and her friendship, people who had done wrong to her. Uh, and at the end, she said, you know, she's listing like friends of her parents, like she's listing everyone she could think of. And she said, everyone, I want you to tell everyone. And uh, she was always my first reader. She was the first one that read all my books. And uh, 
So I wrote this book for her. It's called Journey to Love. And it's a book about, it's a book about being loved. So it's a book to tell people you are loved. It's a book about finding more love in our lives. Uh, I think all of us wish we had more. So it's a book that says, well, that's possible. How do we do that? And it's a book about increasing our capacity to, be, to accept love, uh, as well as our capacity to be loving. Uh, and it's all, it's kind of like story-based little uh, reflections on love and what it is and how we get it, how we find it, quotes from people from around the world, um, and, uh, and some exercises, like things to do to help us grow in being loved or loving others. Yeah. Wow. I'm definitely held back some tears there. Wow. That is, <laughs> I'm so, I'm so excited to be able to read it. And just that topic, you're so right. Everyone, everyone could use more love and be more loving to others. And I actually had this conversation two days ago at dinner, ironically mm -hmm. enough, my friends and I were out at an Irish pub walk, watching hockey and we came up with the conversation of love languages. Mm -hmm. And so we were talking about our different love languages and two of my friends had never taken the quiz before. So we made them right there, take the love language quiz to see, oh, quality time, physical touch, words of affirmation, all yeah. that. And yeah. we, we had these kind of conversations and I talked to a lot of my friends about it because I know my love languages very well and my love languages are the same romantically and platonically. I'm uh -huh. such a hugger to everyone that I meet. Like, I don't know them at all. I walk up and say, hi, I'm Charlotte. I'm a hugger. And that's just my way of loving on people. But I've learned that when you can better understand other people's love language, love languages well, it's that you can love them the way that they want to be loved. It's not the yeah. golden rule of treat people the way you want to be treated. Right. It's the platinum rule of treat people the way that they want to be treated. Right. And <laughs> even if I don't necessarily enjoy doing some acts of service, like that means nothing to me. I'm a strong, independent woman. Like, I don't need you to go do this for me. I need a hug and I need like mm. quality time. Mm. But for some of my friends, if me going and doing the grocery shopping for a roommate or going and like getting their car washed for them if I borrow it, if that's what makes them feel loved, even if it does nothing for me, the more that you can have these conversations about love and how people like to be loved, the deeper the relationships, both romantically and platonically, you're going to be able to create. Yeah, that's right. That's exactly right. And I think it's really, it can be really hard to remember too, that the journey to love, uh, which, you know, you talk a lot about journeying, uh, the, the metaphor, right, of we're on this journey trying to get somewhere in love, uh, it can be really frustrating. Like we can look at people who seem to have it really easy. Like I think about myself, I had an incredibly loving, solid family. And that has set me up uh, in a variety of ways to be ahead in one sense of some folks who maybe like, say, if you grew up in an abusive family, your picture mm -hmm. of what love is and how it works is, is just really different. And you've got to like work through those things uh, to get somewhere. And it can be so frustrating to not understand when we're all in different places in our understanding of love, our, our willingness to accept it. Or like I had a friend in college, here's a good example that uh, she, she had been hurt a lot. And so what she did is she, she seemed like she only had one emotion, which was anger right? She's always pushing everyone away, just mad at everyone. 
just a defense mechanism to see who was going to get through, right? Yeah. Uh, and if you managed to get step past that, then she trusted you and then you could get to the real person. Uh, and I just think things like that are complex, right? In our own lives and then in the lives of the people around us. So I think what you said is really wise. Like we have to learn the people around us to find how they receive love. Yeah. Absolutely. Because everyone doesn't love the same way. And it, mm -hmm. it took me learning that a little bit as a kid with um, certain like family members and friends that I just, I, I grew up feeling, why don't they love me? Mm. And it took a little bit longer in life to realize like they show love in different ways and right. some ways that I feel loved they, and if that's not there, I feel like, oh, well, I'm not being shown love. Yeah. They, it's, <laughs> it's not necessarily them being intentional about it. It's just that that's not something that computes as this is how I show love to right. you. Right. So it's just figuring out that no one, it's, it's not right or wrong. It's just a different way that they show love. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And that, yeah, there's nothing wrong with that for sure. Uh, that's a communication piece, right? Uh, and I think, yeah, and there's a lot of pieces about love that we've been taught something that's not true. Um, and so we have to dig into that too, to make more space for love. Like we have to discover those places where we believe something that's false about love or about loving people. Uh, and sometimes that's really extreme uh, for those of us who have experienced some sort of sort of abuse or been in a really difficult relationship or been rejected, like, uh, you know, abandonment issues, things like that. Or it can be really small. It can be stuff like, um, yeah, thinking that love should always be directed at us and not the other way around or thinking that uh, that love doesn't love doesn't come to us mm -hmm. ever. Uh, which is interesting. Like what I, I love this. So depending on your religious background, right? There's a Jewish poem uh, that talks about love is as strong as death, not stronger than, because uh, right, people we love can still die. And, uh, but love is as strong as death. And what do we know about death? Death is inevitable. Uh, you can't resist it. Death comes for everyone, right? And uh, I think we can say then that those things are true about love. Love comes for everyone. Love, you can't resist it. Love is inevitable. And that sometimes part of what we need to do is just open our eyes, open our hearts to the love that's already around us. And maybe mm -hmm. certain times in our life, it's harder to see than others. Wow. Absolutely. And I think that especially for, for people that faith is really important to them, like it is with you and like it mm -hmm. is with me. And we've been seeing, especially in the media over the, the last little bit, that sometimes Christians don't do a great job of loving on other people. And you just want to shake oh them and gosh. be like, no, this, this is not the, the love that, that God has called us to be and not, the, and not his love. And so I think that really that's an important factor to, to realize. And I know that's a comment uh, or a common cause or topic in your books as well is just that we're, we're all imperfect and we all don't love people perfectly, but that yeah. we know that we can look and mimic the, the perfect love. Yeah. And I think that's really important, Charlotte. And I, I would just say too, like, I think you could be listening to an interview like this and not know me or not know you. 
and think that what I'm saying is I wrote a book for Christians about uh, what it means to be loved by God. And that's not what I'm saying at all. Um, I personally believe that love is not dependent on your religion or your belief system that every, I literally believe every person on earth is worthy of being loved, that they should be loved, not just should be loved, but deserve to be loved. Uh, and that's where I'm coming from in the book. Not, this isn't a, uh, love Jesus and you'll find love book. I, I don't, I don't think that's sufficient. Um, and you're right. There's a lot of Christians in the world who that's been their message. And I think ironically that that is a message that is not loving. Mm -hmm. Um, so yeah, let's see if we can fix that. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And so for, I know that I definitely have now added most if not all of your books, we'll, we'll see. It might take me a little <laughs> bit to get through all 12, but to add them no, just to, start with one. To, yes, to add them to my <laughs> library. But where can people get connected to you? Where can they find your books? Um, tell yeah. us, tell us that. Uh, so this is a big ask, but if you can spell my name, you can find <laughs> me. Uh, so my last name is Greek, right? Michalatis. It's M-I-K-A-L-A. T-O-S. And everyone in the United States with that last name is directly related to me. So Incredible. if you, yeah. So if you find someone with that last name, you're like doing an internet search and you're like, huh, who's this? Uh, they, they're my relative. So they can point you in the right direction. But yeah, so my website is michalatis.com. I'm on Twitter as Matt Michalatis. I'm on Facebook as Matt Michalatis. I'm on Instagram as Matt Michalatis. I'm on MySpace as Matt Michalatis. Wow. Yeah. Wow. I'm, I'm the only place you won't find me is like TikTok. I have a secret mm. TikTok. Uh, and because I only use it to watch videos of whales uh, and <laughs> rabbits and like people doing parkour. So <laughs> what, that's what, a it's for. what a niche. What a niche. Exactly. Is... I got to write a book about that whale loving <laughs> yeah, parkour guys who have a pet rabbit. Yes, that's, mm, it really said for you, Paige. I love yeah, it. Exactly. Um, <laughs> but lucky, lucky for the listeners because we love them here. We will put all of your links in the show notes so that awesome. if people are bad at spelling like I am, they don't have to try to search it and find it, but we'll we'll have all of that there and some of the, the links to your books and A Journey to Love comes out in August. So that's going to be really exciting to keep on the, on the horizon and keep in the back of your mind. And one thing to wrap up is that I, I asked this to everyone that I meet practically and every guest that I've had on this podcast. And it is, if you could travel to anywhere in the world, money, time, distance, none of it mattered. Where would you go and why? One place. Mm -hmm. mm. That's a really hard question. Cause it's like, do you want to go somewhere you've never been? Mm -hmm. Or do you want to go somewhere you love? Okay, money, I will tell you one place. None of it matters. Yes. One place I've always wanted to go that I've not made it there yet. So I've been a lot of beautiful places in the world. Uh, there's a lot of places I love. And if it was just like, do you want to go somewhere you love? I'd probably say Hawaii or maybe Thailand, or I have so many friends I haven't seen in different countries around the world. But if it was like, let's go one place you've never been. Have you ever seen, you maybe have been there. Uh, I see these photos all the time of these. They're not hotel rooms. They're like guest houses in Tahiti that mm -hmm. are built in the water. 
-hmm. and you have like a little like it looks like you have a little uh either a porch or there's like a a, a trap door in your house and you can just like pop out of your house and go snorkeling oh my gosh I want to yes, go there. That's, that's on the bucket list for sure. At the crystal clear blue water is <sighs> insane. Yeah. And some little boat comes by in the evening and they're like, do you want to buy some fruit or something? I'm like, yeah, of course I do. Then I'm <laughs> going to go swim with the fish some more. And that would be a great writer's retreat. Oh, Just man. Quiet away from everything. Oh, man. It sounds pretty good. Let's do that. Hey, if everyone listening to this podcast goes and buys about 100,000 copies of uh, Journey to Love, <laughs> I could probably do that. <laughs> yes. Yes, that, that's the plan. I love it. I love it. Well, this has been so fun and such a pleasure. And I know that I'm going to go out and get a lot of your books. And I, I know that everyone will be encouraged by, by these readings as well. Awesome. Charlotte, it was so fun to be with you. Thank you so much. And I'm looking forward to hearing more about your world adventures and getting advice about where I should be going. My goodness, wasn't that great? I don't know about you, but I am so excited to get Journey to Love when it comes out in August. And the link to all of Matt's other books and his website are in the show notes below. We really hope that this conversation inspired and encouraged you. I know it did for me. And if you've ever had the dream to write a book, this is your green light. Go out and start writing. Thank you again, Matt, and we'll see you all here again soon.